Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking, well, breaking news on the World Cups of 2030 and 34, Scarface, Soccer Moms, PSG's Louise. Man, you gotta be kidding me. Uh, more VAR talk, MLS MVP criteria, Rocco, DC Strutton, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my colleague, my friend, my... I mean, my guiding light, let's be honest. David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this Wednesday, October 4th in the year 2023? And yes, I once again am on the road coming to you from our nation's capital. How you doing, my friend? I am doing well, and I am uh, waiting with bated breath to find out uh, why you're in D.C. Well, uh, my mother... Uh, has turned 80 years old. And so I flew out here to surprise her. And she was surprised. And uh, she is an OG soccer mom. I'm going to talk a little bit more about soccer moms at the end of the show here. But uh, I have not seen her in a long time. And so it was nice to kind of get out here and uh, and check uh, check it out. At, when we're done with the pot, I'm going to go out to dinner uh, with her. And, and we got some presents and all sorts of stuff. She does not look 80 years old. And I'm She's got plenty of years ahead of her, and uh, like, uh, I mean, I'm hopefully a lot of people out there. Uh, I love my mom, and uh, she's done a hell of a lot for me over the years, so this is the least I can do is come out and, uh, like I said, surprise her and have a good time. We traipsed around D.C. today uh, at all the different monuments. She lives in D.C., but like people that live in, you know, great cities, they don't always go out to the uh, sites. So I I dragged her to the uh, the Capitol, <laughs> to the White House, and to the Lincoln uh, uh, the Lincoln Memorial and all that kind of stuff. So it's fun. I'm having a good time with my mom. How you doing, my friend? Anything uh, interesting? You watching anything? Uh, the only thing I've got is I watched an interesting documentary on Amazon Prime last night called A Compassionate Spy, which hmm. uh, is about um, a scientist that worked on the Manhattan Project and while he was doing that, he was feeding uh, secrets to the Soviets, which enabled the Soviets to get their own atomic bomb quicker than they would have otherwise. It's a guy named Ted Hall, and it sort of recounts his life. And, you know, ever since seeing Oppenheimer, which I went to see in Sydney while I was covering the Women's World Cup, I've been on a bit of a World War II kick. The last couple of books I've read, I read this book called The Real Odessa, which is about Nazis who escaped to Argentina after the war. Then I just read a book called Operation Paperclip, which is about German scientists who came to the U.S. after World War II. So this kind of fits with that. Uh, it was very interesting. Awesome. Uh, I, I only saw, I rewatched um, Scarface, classic type of uh, movie, Al Pacino and stuff. It, it, it doesn't hold up great, but it is still kind of just this this unique type of movie and there's still wonderful scenes and wonderful uh, quotes that uh, we have. Uh, and it's become something bigger over the years, but I still dig it. And um, 
that's about it. That's all. I, that's all I've seen. Should we light this candle, my friend? Let's do it. All right, listen, I'm going to let you carry much of this show because like I said, I'm on the road and I want to make sure from a technical perspective that you're able to see and hear everything and I don't have the greatest connection here, but we're going to muddle through this. So I'm going to let you carry this and we got to start off here on the breaking news, right? Yes. Uh, on a recent podcast, we received a voicemail asking about the 2030 World Cup and the possibility of that tournament going to South America to mark the 100 year anniversary. There was this Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, Chile jumbo bid. I mentioned that the other candidate was a Spain, Portugal, Morocco bid. Well, we came to find out today, FIFA announced it, that Spain, Portugal, and Morocco will jointly host the 2030 World Cup. But there's a catch. Argentina, Uruguay, and Paraguay will all play their opening games in that World Cup at home in Argentina, Uruguay, and Paraguay. So that is to commemorate the 100-year anniversary. So that's FIFA trying to have their cake and eat it too and make everybody happy. Uh, but a lot of people seem bewildered by this decision. So six different countries across three different continents will host matches in the 2030 World Cup. What do you make of it? I mean, it, it, my initial reaction is that I don't like it. And we've talked a little bit over the last couple of pods, and I think over the last couple of years, about how I think that a World Cup the best World Cups are reflective of the, the country and the culture and the society that they are held in. And they, they have a flavor of their own. And I know that the trains left the station when it comes to joint hosting going forward. But this, and in particular this, because we had talked last pod about possibly, you know, with the, uh, the, you know, the uh, centennial celebration, which is certainly something that should be celebrated, you know, 1930 to 2030. Um, giving something to that neck of the woods, if you will. But this is kind of like just, uh, yes, I, I I see what they're trying to do, but I guess it's so now it's six teams that obviously play three games, uh, one game in each of those countries, and then they fly back over to join. And, uh, you know, the jet lag that's involved there, it, it just it just seems like they're kind of patting those countries on the head as opposed to doing what I think a lot of us thought they were going to do, which was bring it back to its origins and celebrate where it all started. And I'm and I'm not sure anything is going to change when it comes to the way that they are they framing this. And we'll get to 20, uh, 2034, I guess it would be, too. But when it comes to 2030, it'll still be a great World Cup. And I think the Morocco involvement, I think, is awesome. Uh, I agree. It's wonky. Uh, it's weird to me. I don't like the way they did it. They should have just picked one or the other. Uh, it is interesting that Paraguay gets in there and Chile drops out. As a matter of fact, a little trivia, Paraguay's first ever World Cup match was against the U.S. The U.S. won 3-0. Bert Patinode scored all three goals. First hat trick in World Cup history. Um, but uh, the more conspiratorial folks think it has to do with the fact that Comnebol's headquarters are in Paraguay. Comnebol's president, Alejandro Dominguez, is Paraguayan. So that's why they get in there. And that's big for them because all three of those countries, Uruguay, Argentina, and Paraguay, automatically qualify for that World Cup. Obviously, Uruguay and Argentina, based on their pedigree, you assume would have qualified anyway. Paraguay, not so much. They would have been on the bubble. And so they get in there. Chile does not. Let's be honest. Everybody's qualifying for World Cups uh, <laughs> now. I mean, when, with the continued expansion of, uh, of World Cups. Look, I, I think my initial reaction, I think as we get closer, I think this is going to be something fun, something interesting, and something different. But on the surface, it just, it's, it's too big. It's too spread out. I mean, it, it should be noted that when people actually talk about the World Cup tournament, it is a global tournament in that the qualifying for the World Cup finals happen all over the world. <laughs> but the World Cup finals, whether it was you know, 16 teams or 24 teams or 32 teams or 48 teams, have always kind of happened in one area of the world. And that celebration of bringing everybody together in the same way that you know, the signing of accords or treaties or, uh, you know, a festival uh, or a fair or anything else, you know, brings people together in one place. And that's not what this World Cup is going to do. I will be interested what that logo looks like, Masi. I mean, <laughs> how are you going to fit all of these flags and all this all this kind of stuff? And you're going to have one for every single one. But, you know, this is this is the way that it's going. I mean, a player that plays in the 2030 World Cup is going to have a vastly different and I guess relative to an older guy like me, strange experience of playing in a World Cup, especially if you're one of those six teams. And you know the U.S. is going to be one of those six teams, right? 
Yeah, and and you teased it. The second part of today's news is they also revealed that the 2034 World Cup will take place in either Asia or Oceania. Saudi Arabia have promptly launched a bid for 2034. I don't know about you, but my money's on them getting it. I mean, look, unless uh, you know the wonderful folks in Tahiti and Fiji and uh, and other places get together and we we have a a 10 or or Australia for that matter we have a 10 or 12 country type of world cup down there this is going to Saudi Arabia man we are we are going back to Saudi Arabia whether you want to or not they have all the money they have all the power they have kind of lined lined this up and i think it'll it'll be a great world cup but you know this is kind of a, a situation where everything now is in place for what Saudi Arabia has started long ago and now wants to come to uh, come to fruition. And so, yeah, I mean, it would surprise me, you and everybody, if anybody but Saudi Arabia is in host. And in that sense, I, I could be wrong, Mossy, but I, I think that might be a single country hosting the World Cup. Uh, and so maybe it is a return to that one country type of uh, World Cup if they don't end up being joint with anybody else going forward. You think it's ultimately going to be joint if it is Saudi Arabia involved? All I've heard so far is just Saudi Arabia. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, the other bit of hosting news today, which is actually the first news I woke up to, but it got completely overshadowed by the FIFA stuff, is Euro 2028, which we have on Fox Sports. Uh, they were planning to announce the host for that next week, and Turkey have dropped out, which leaves the UK-Ireland bit as the only one, so that's what, what it's going to be. So Euro 2028 is going to be England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and Republic of Ireland. Wait, that, how many how many countries is that? So that's five different ones. Although there's the Ted Lasso joke, how many countries are in this country? If you want to go that path, Jesus, oh my God, what are we doing here? All right, uh, let's move on, shall we? All right, so uh, match day two of the UEFA Champions League is in the books. Uh, we'll take it in chronological order, beginning on Tuesday with a couple of shocking defeats by Premier League clubs. Arsenal fell two one away to Lons Wahi with the. Uh, Second half winner assisted by Frankowski, the former Chicago Fire winger. And to add injury to insult for Arsenal, Bukayo Saka, who limped off of their previous game against Bournemouth, was deemed fit enough to start this one, actually assisted Gabriel Jesus for their goal, but then picked up what looked to be a hamstring injury in the first half, had to come out again. That's trouble for Arsenal, given the game they have coming up at the weekend, which we're going to talk about in the second segment. But this is also occurring while this conversation about players playing too many games is very much in the air we saw Andre Blake's comments as well. So it's going on here in MLS. Saka plays almost every game for Arsenal in England. So a lot of people are connecting this injury to his workload. So that conversation is going on. But did he play in the previous weekend? I mean, I know there's platooning and there's workload, like you said, and, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, that's losing the one game. It's not good from an Arsenal perspective, I guess, especially against. How did you pronounce it, Mossy? Was it Lons? Lons. Oh, my God. All right. Well, especially losing against Lons. Uh, you know, that's not a great result for Arsenal and what they are and certainly what they want to be. But losing players in the process when you are fighting on multiple fronts as some as a team like Arsenal, that's, you know, that can be a killer. And, you know, one or two players for hefty teams like Arsenal, while they do have depth, big players like that, that that's a problem. And that was a surprise. That's a surprise result. Uh, but credits are not long for, uh, you know, finding a way through. And then the other one on Tuesday that got everybody's attention, Manchester United suffered a 3-2 home defeat to Galatasaray. United led twice in this game, both times through Rasmus Hoyland. Galatasaray equalized twice, including Wilfred Zaha scoring against his former club. So it was 2-2, late second half. And then Andre Onana, who's had a shocking start to his United career. Bad giveaway that leads to Casemiro taking down Dries Mertens in the box. Casemiro was sent off. Icardi actually missed the penalty wide, but... United were down to 10 players at that point. So a few minutes later, Icardi atoned, scored off a breakaway, scooped it over Onana. So Manchester United, who were coming off a home defeat to Crystal Palace, they've dropped four of their first seven Premier League games, and now they've lost both Champions League games this season. All right, so first things first, Galatasaray is a good team, all right? So losing to Galatasaray is not necessarily a shameful type of, uh, uh, of thing to happen. But having to, happening to Manchester United, and we could do a whole pod on Manchester United and what they are and what they aren't right now. I mean, I was thinking about Eric Ten Hag. Is there anybody more uninspiring than <laughs> Eric Ten Hag? I mean, look, he might be a, a savant, when, you know, like you when it comes to the X's and O's of the games. But there is there is nothing in the way that he holds himself, in the way that he talks, and 
and and I'm sorry, but Manchester United is kind of built on that. And it's been a while since we have seen that. And this Manchester United team, now, if you're not a big personality and you don't have the results to go, I mean, that's a recipe for disaster for any for any club, including a club like this that counts on big play on, on big time personalities. They're not getting they're not getting the most out of this. And again, this is at home. And Manchester United goes out and loses two to uh, two to three to Galatasaray. A horrible, horrible night for everybody on the field for the uh, for the organization. And on the opposite side for Galatasaray, that's got to feel pretty good when they get back on that plane and they leave, despite the fact that they are beating a Manchester United that is not the Manchester United that we once knew. Did you compare me to Eric Ten Hag? I would say though I'm inspiring, so that's where. Mossy, I would run through a door and fire for you, my friend. You are inspiring in the things that you say and, and, and in the way that you say things. But there's nothing inspiring of, of Ten Hag. The sentiment seems to be, gauging on Twitter, United fans, uh, to not blame Ten Hag here, to give him more time. Part of the issue is pretty much all the players they've signed in the last couple of windows have been Ten Hag players. So they've kind of built a team for him. It'd be weird to get rid of him at this point and have somebody else coach that team. So they're going to give him some time. We'll see if he can get it turned around, but obviously a dreadful start to the campaign. And you you mentioned your friend uh, Casemiro, who got uh, who got a, a red and le- uh, left the game. Not something necessarily that he is, isn't unaccustomed to playing for Manchester United. I, you know, I can't remember, but there is something ri- ridiculous record as to what he has done since he's come to England to play for Manchester United. I also don't know what position he plays anymore because he just kind of freewheels and. At the first sign of problems, they simply just kind of let him go and do whatever the hell he wants. I remember when Casemiro actually played a position? That was nice. That was not too many years ago. Anyway, moving on. What do we got? What do we got next? Moving on to Casemiro's uh, former club, Real Madrid. They were involved in the best match on Tuesday. They earned a three-two win away to Napoli. Uh, this was a really entertaining game. Uh, Real Madrid benefiting from yet another great performance by Jude Bellingham. He assisted Vinicius for a goal and then scored one himself with this remarkable solo run. Uh, Jude Bellingham, once again, the story for Madrid, who, although I continue to say it's an oddly constructed squad, they still have that Real Madrid big game DNA. You saw it here. A couple of things uh, on the two goals in particular. You know, your friend Vinny Jr., I loved the way that he opened his body up to hit it with his right foot to the far post and in doing in, in letting the ball roll into him was just it was wonderful it was it was picture perfect as to what's what somebody would do in that it would make Thierry Henry proud or anybody else uh, that's just a pure type of goal scorer in the way that he formed his body to hit that shot and then you mentioned Bellingham and I think last pod you had said that it's not sustainable or or Theoretically, it's not sustainable in terms of what he is doing, and yet he continues to uh, to sustain. And you know, he took that ball, you know, and and beat multiple multiple players. And you kept thinking, oh, he's going to dish it, he's going to dish it, and he didn't dish it, and then ultimately scores. So this is, as we said, rarefied air. Unless maybe it's not. Maybe this is what he is and what he will continue to be. And if he does, like you said on the, on the previous pod, this is going to be a historic year for him individually. And all these games were played against the backdrop of the Tottenham-Liverpool-VAR debacle. And so people who hate VAR, the knives were out. Um, I know we got an Ask Alexi question about VAR, so we're going to delve into it there. But we should mention there were some controversial moments in these games. The second Napoli goal came from the penalty spot, a nacho handball that was awarded after a review. A lot of people had an issue with that. And then as we transition to our next game, PSV-Sevilla, in the second half when this game was nil-nil, Sevilla thought they had taken the lead. The left back, Pedrosa, scored. But in the buildup, the ball hit his arm. So VAR chalked it off. A lot of people had an issue with that decision. So VAR right now is very much in the crossroads. Well, they I think they had an issue with the subjective nature of those calls rather than when, with specific VAR, right? I mean, it was like, you know, the handball, for example, was, well, these are the laws of the game. And for many people, it's ludicrous that somebody in that position would get called for something and you know what is natural what isn't natural i've said before if you're in the box and you're a defender just know that if the ball hits your arm or your hand there's a chance that it's going to be called and then act accordingly and whether that, whether that means not leaving your feet or whether that means putting your hands and arms behind your back on a continual basis that's how you got to play the game unless there's a law change that's how you got to play the game and again it's no excuse when ultimately you're dinged so for sevilla that goal was chalked off they then took the lead um, PSV equalized when Malik Tillman was brought down in the box by Sergio Ramos. I thought that was a dodgy decision, to be honest. Luke De Jong converted 1-1. Sevilla retake the lead and Nesri and then 
PSV in stoppage time. Teze bundles in off a set piece. So 2-2 the final on the American front. Uh, Dest and Tillman started. Uh, Pepe came on in the second half. Yeah, I mean, not a great result from a team perspective and from an American perspective. At least they're on the field and getting on the field. And when they are on their field, if they're coming on in a substitute capacity, doing something. Uh, it was nice to see Tillman uh, draw the penalty. And, you know, there's still and there will always be a question when it comes to Dest and his defensive capabilities. And I think that they are fair in terms of uh, the criticism and the question when it comes uh, to what he's doing. But and ultimately, in in the greater scheme of things for uh, for PSG. Not a great result. I know, I agree. Uh, and so we transition to Wednesday, uh, staying with the American theme, Borussia Dortmund, AC Milan, played to a nil-nil draw. Both uh, Pulisic and Musa started for Milan. Pulisic squandered a good chance and then got subbed out in the second half. Uh, Gio Reyna, an unused sub again for Dortmund. He has still yet to play this season. I mean, the Gio thing is, <laughs> I guess it's very strange because at a certain point, if you're on the bench on a consistent basis, you would think that something would happen where they could use you. I mean, he's not a utility player. He's not a goalkeeper. He's not even a you know a center back that rarely gets subbed out. He is he literally plays the positions that get subbed out the most. And 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 to be fair, also are the ones that are needed to be subbed out in order to get something fresh and some change in. And he has made a living, at least in his in his substitute capacity, of coming in and changing the complexion of the game. And yet time and time again, that's not something that has been determined is of value in that moment coming off the bench. So the value is that he is on the bench, but until he actually figures out a way to get on the field, and I don't know if that's going to happen because there's been multiple different scenarios in which each and every time he has not been deemed the uh, the one to, uh, to to bring on. Ultimately, 0-0 wasn't a great game. Uh, some different chances. Pulisic had a chance. It was nice to see Pulisic and Musa start, uh, and I think that, that bodes well for the future of them and for AC Milan because I think they're both really, really good players. Uh, one American who did come on as a sub was Cameron Carter-Vickers. He came on in the second half of Celtics' 2-1 home defeat to Lazio. Pedro got a late winner for Lazio. But for Carter-Vickers, first appearance since August, he had been out with a hamstring injury. He came back sooner than expected, so good to see him return to the field. August. So, what, some, uh, a little you know, month, two months uh, now, that uh, less than that. So, yeah, that's good. That's good from a depth perspective, and you know when we uh, when we're talking earlier uh, in the week about Tyler Adams and those hamstrings, uh, they're 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 scary. They're scary, and that it's working and functioning and firing. Knock on wood, uh, because I think he is. I think he's important going forward, and I hope that physically he is there to play a consistent uh, in, in a consistent way, so that you know if and when the national team comes calling, that this is something that's uh, that's good and his body can withstand it. Also on Wednesday, Newcastle with a 4-1 home win over PSG. Almiron got the party started. Byrne made it 2-0. Longstaff, 3-0. Lucas Hernandez pulled one back. And then Shar with an incredible strike late. Uh, obviously a fantastic result for uh, Newcastle. Not to harp on the VAR theme, but Newcastle's second goal, uh, there was a clear handball in the, the buildup, this Newcastle player, LaSalle. And they didn't check for that. They only checked for the offsides, whether, whether Bruno Guimarães was off or not. And so he wasn't, and so the goal stood. So that was a weird moment because if you're going to chalk off the Sevilla goal the day before, then you got to chalk off this one as well. That that made no sense, but uh, it didn't matter. Newcastle was the better team from start to finish. Exactly. Uh, they were in dreamland today. Ray Hudson even gave Warren Barton a shout out on the telecast. They were reminiscing about after Almiron scored, the last time a South American had scored for Newcastle in the Champions League was Tino Aspria, a player I'm sure you played against many times. Sure. And so that got them talking about that era of Newcastle and Warren Barton came up, which was great. Uh, but yeah, fantastic win for the Magpies. It it, it was a, a feel-good type of watch. And for a couple of reasons, uh, not the least of which is the romantic notion of Newcastle in Europe. Big situation, huge crowd, everybody excited, great goals, and not just a win, but an emphatic type of win. Again, against not just anybody, but against PSG with... Some incredible players, you know, albeit a, a changed lineup from uh, from previous years. But this was this wasn't a smash and grab. This wasn't something that you can blame on refereeing or VAR or anything like that. Newcastle, from start to finish, were the better team. PSG never even got out of second gear and just looked completely uh, blinded by the black and white that was going on out there of Newcastle. And it was fun to see. And from a 
you know, again, a red, white, and blue color glasses perspective to see Miguel uh, uh, Almiron not just score, but score a great goal and continue to do uh, do things over there. That's cool. That's cool. And this bodes well for the future uh, in their in their campaign here. But this was definitely stamping their their presence and their return with authority when it comes to uh, Newcastle. Yeah, Newcastle. Uh, I'm sorry. PSG started a weird lineup. Luis Enrique went with a front four of Mbappe, Usman, Dembele, Gonzalo Ramos, and Colomani, and only two midfielders. So it all felt a little disconnected from them. And you know, I've been talking up this new and improved PSG. And uh, in the Champions League, their <laughs> karma still remains the same as always. So it uh, didn't look like a team today that could go on to win this competition, but uh, we'll see. We transition, what else? What else? We transition from Saudi Arabia versus Qatar in that game to uh, United Arab Emirates with uh, Manchester City. Uh, they claimed a 3-1 away win over Leipzig. Uh, Foden, Alvarez, and Doku with their goals. So a nice win away from home for the defending champions in Germany. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't with complete ease, but relative to other games, I think that this wasn't in doubt and Man City showed. I mean, are you are you concerned with uh uh with Holland uh and his I guess maybe we've been spoiled because of his consistency. And so he's getting opportunities, he's you know, he's he's there, but we've just come to expect him to consistently score in games that we in games that we see, and I'm not suggesting that the world has figured him out yet, and he's going to have ups and downs going on, uh, going uh, going forward from a from a team perspective. But is are you seeing anything different from Erlen Holland this year that causes concern? I am not overly concerned, and I brought this up on the pod recently, and I'll reiterate it. The amazing thing is they now have two great goal scorers in Holland and Alvarez when not long ago, remember City, that was the one weakness. They didn't really have a center forward. They now have two of the best. So even if Holland goes on a bit of a drought, Alvarez is there to pick up the slack as he did today. He got the game winner. So uh, I don't, I certainly don't think that team will struggle for goals. And I think Holland will get back on track and will be the guy scoring most of them. Look, Man City and Pep have plenty of plans. Plan A, Plan B. They probably have C, D, and E that we have seen or means seen limited of or just waiting in his back pocket. So uh, good for them. Uh, all right, anything else, my friend? That's it. We end this segment with Man City and we're going to begin the next one with them as well. Perfect. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, like you said, uh, we'll check out what's going on this weekend, including Man City and many, many others. Don't go to it. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. Uh, yeah, let's take a trip around Europe. You mentioned uh, Man City, Mossy. Let's start there because a big, big, big game this weekend in the EPL. Yeah, Manchester City are away to Arsenal. As we mentioned in our opening segment, Bukayo Saka got injured in Arsenal's Championship game, so we don't know about his status for this one. Martinelli's been out, so uh, not sure if we'll see uh, him. Man City with their own problems. Rodri is suspended for this one, still serving a ban for that red card he picked up. Uh, but still, there will be plenty of uh, big stars on the field. And the interesting thing for me is Arsenal obviously finished second last season. They topped the table for much of the campaign. They went out, spent a lot of money this summer. Uh, they thought they had really established themselves as that second team and the biggest threat to City. And so far early on the season, a lot of people, including myself, feel like Liverpool have regain that mantle. I even thought Liverpool enhanced their credentials in that loss to Tottenham when you consider all the craziness they had to deal with and they still almost got a point at the end. So this is a chance for Arsenal to make a statement and at least show that, no, we're still that other team that if City were to slip up this season, I mean, keep in mind, they've won three Premier League titles in a row. They won the Champions League last season. So you think maybe complacency sets in at some point, injuries, crazy calendar. If for whatever reason, Manchester City doesn't win the title this season, you wonder who would be that team that would capitalize the most, Arsenal or Liverpool? This is a chance for Arsenal to make a statement in that regard. I'm so glad you mentioned that because, you know, the, the Arsenal phenomenon last year, and look, it was fun to watch whether you're an Arsenal fan or not. 
it was I think it was interesting to watch, maybe not fun for people that don't like Arsenal, but the quality that, that they had, and obviously it couldn't last, and it didn't last throughout, and they ran out of steam at the end, and Man City uh, you know, had more depth and more quality ultimately. But again, there's so many stories, including the Arteta and Pep story. And and I think about this often when we talk about coaching trees. And, you know, we we think that there's this. Well, I, I guess there is the, uh, there has to be a, an amount of pride from the father, if you will, and whether it's a, a Bruce Arena or a Bob Bradley uh, or like a, or a Pep in this instance, when you see one of your own go on and do good things, you have to take great pride. But you're also functioning in a very competitive world. And so you have to be ruthless in that moment. And, you know, Pep at the last minute doing that, uh, tortoise and the hare type of thing, slow and steady wins the race, must have been very satisfying despite all of the success that he has had. From Arsenal perspective, what they can't afford to do under Arteta is take a step back. Now, they might not win, win the EPL, but if, if the perception is after this year that they have regressed, that is a problem because this is, you know, Arteta and everyone has talked about that this is a process. Fair enough, but did they... Did they come out so hot last year that it's impossible for them to live up, Mossy? Or do you think that they can progress as opposed to taking steps back, which I think would be really problematic for Arteta and for Arsenal? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I see them finishing third behind City and Liverpool. They finished second last season. So would that constitute regression? Well, if they combine a third-place Premier League finish with a decent Champions League run, I think they can plausibly say that their season overall was better uh, this season. So we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes in both competitions. But yeah, I do think Liverpool have leapfrogged ahead of them. I would place Liverpool as that second best team in the Premier League. I mean, look, and there's no shame of Liverpool, which, you know, coming back in, you know, all guns blazing, all guns blazing. Now, I just, I think Arteta has to just guard against what happened last year it, at some point being looked at as an anomaly and, and an aberration. That, that, uh, that certainly can't happen. All right, where should we go now? Uh, big one in Ligue 1, Monaco, who are atop the table. They're away to third place, Hans. And the interesting thing about that is that this is uh, Folletin Balogun facing his former club. Remember, he spent last season on loan with Hans and had a great campaign, over 20 goals, which got him this move to Monaco. Uh, Balogun had a great game last weekend, a goal and assist against Marseille. We'll see if he can pick up where he left off. All right, so once again, and I know we've done this before, it starts with an R, but it's pronounced with an H, right? Yeah, but frankly, after my Hirona debacle, I've lost any right to be pretentious <laughs> about pronunciation, so uh, people can say it however they want. All right, Reims versus Monaco. Yes. Uh, uh, looking forward to it uh, for Flo and yes. for Flo alone uh, against his old team. I hope if he scores, he celebrates. You know, we talked about that earlier yeah. this week. Yes. Uh, Christian Arango not celebrating as LAFC still under got under your skin, huh? It did. It did. All right, let's go to Germany. We go to Germany. Borussia Dortmund will host Union Berlin. Uh, we've talked about Gio. I do want to focus on the other prominent American, uh, Brendan Aronson, because I was thinking about this in the last couple of days, uh, how much his stock has fallen in the last 12 months or so. You go back to this time last year. Remember, Aronson had done really well at Salzburg. That earned him a big money move to Leeds United in the Premier League. By the time he arrived, Jesse Marsh was coaching that team. He walked right into the starting lineup, played really well early in the season, dropped some man-of-the-match performances, scored against Chelsea. Leeds fans really took to his energetic style. And we were sitting here about a month into the Premier League campaign and a few weeks out from the World Cup. And the big conversation in U.S. national team circles was that Greg Berhalter had to find a place for Brendan Aronson in the starting lineup. That's all anybody was talking about. Well, he ended up not starting a single game at the World Cup, came on as a sub in all four, and then his form for Leeds really faded the rest of the season. By the end of the campaign, he was viewed as a flop. They unloaded him to Union Berlin, which a lot of us thought was a pretty good destination. Um, he's not a big factor on that team, hasn't really done anything so far. Uh, he's still a guy that everybody thinks should be called up for the U.S. and is a decent depth piece, but I don't see anybody suggesting he should be starting anymore. When we talk about this dilemma Greg Berhalter has and all the different possibilities, none of those include Brendan Aronson anymore. So what do you make of where he's at in his career right now? I think Brendan Aronson is in a long line of players, not just American players, but players in general, that have recognized that their ticket and their key and their skill is forever intertwined with their work ethic and their physical ability. 
And that can get you very, very far. And from a Brendan Erickson perspective, it has. And each and every time you see him, you say, man, oh man, I, got, I want that guy on my team. He works hard. He'll run through a wall, all the different things that we, uh, that we say. The problem is, is that ultimately that, that can be not enough. You can't just be the physical player because people will suss you out. People will figure you out. And the good players and the great teams will find a way because they've dealt with physicalness. They've dealt with people that are stronger, faster, bigger. But his, his I guess, soccer acumen, it's, you know, the phrase that people throw around, that's what needs to catch up with his heart and his physical abilities. And it, it, it hasn't. But again, it, the path is not always linear. It's not, it's not always going to be smooth. And so this step back now doesn't mean that he can't take two steps forward. I think relative to the national team, to your point, Mossy, um, you know, again, with Tyler Adams out and the, the midfield kind of in flux here, uh, but with, with Gio Reyna coming back, you know, he's going to have to show something more. And we talk so much about this generation, and I would put him part of this generation of U.S. men's national team players coming to fruition in 2026. Well, what does that mean? It means that they get better. It means that they improve. It means that they see the game better. And unless and until Brendan Aronson starts to do that, he's going to suffer. And it's not because he doesn't, again, doesn't have heart. It's not because he doesn't work hard or anything like that. It's just because from a soccer perspective, he is not keeping up with the rest of them. Uh, one last bonus one, uh, AC Milan away to Genoa in Serie A. So we'll see what Pulisic, Moose, and company can do there. Uh, but we transition to Major League Soccer. We are taping- Before we do that, Mossy, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Before we do that, can I just say something about Union Berlin? I, saw, I read a wonderful article in The Athletic uh, who are following this team around this year uh, because you know the fans are a little pissed off about having to play their Champions League matches away from their home field, which is awesome, by the way, and it's but it's much more intimate- and it was really interesting to hear some of the fans, the German fans, talk about how they're actually okay. Not all of them, but some of them are okay with the fact that they're kind of spreading the wealth and they're bringing people more into the tent because now they're playing their games in 70,000-seat stadium. And the thinking is, let's get as many people in as possible. And I, I actually like that. Now, there's plenty of fans there that are kind of protective, and I get it, and they don't want new fans coming in and they want to kind of relive every single week what they their experience that they have in their own in the comforts of their own stadium and all that all, all that kind of stuff but if you get a chance uh check it out because it's an interesting look into the psyche of not just fans but german fans and whenever you have talks about supporters and fans the german culture oftentimes is is pointed to and it's interesting to hear this balance and this back and forth and this almost this tug of war for fans as to bringing more people into the tent or keeping our little tent as it is going forward. And not not everybody comes down uh, on the side that you think. So uh, interesting. All right. Anyway, let's go to uh, MLS. Uh, let me just say The Athletic's been pumping out some incredible content. Sean Sullivan sent me a couple articles today, one on Newcastle PSG and the whole Saudi Arabia-Qatar element to that matchup, and also one on Celtic Lazio and the ultra culture at those two clubs. So, And then, yeah, this Union Berlin stuff is great as well. I've been reading that also. So, yeah, you're, you're right to bring that up. Uh, so we transition to Major League Soccer. We are taping this on Wednesday afternoon. There are a bunch of games tonight. This podcast won't be released until Thursday. So anything we say in terms of stats and statistics might be a little dated, but bear with us on that. But we did want to begin by talking about the MVP race because on Twitter, you tweeted out where things stand as far as your criteria and you, who you've got winning it as of right now. So we'd like you to discuss that on the pod. Well, those that have uh, have listened to this pod over the years know that I make my own criteria because MLS does not give us criteria uh, when it comes to the MLS MVP award. And so I look at it and this is my criteria. And uh, there's a longer one there, but you know, I'll I'll go into it uh, now in that my long-standing MLS uh, criteria is one, it's only goal scorers because there is nothing that is more valuable in the game than scoring goals. Number two, it's not the goals that you score uh, in the terms of the number, but it's the number of games in which you score goals. There's nothing to me more valuable than walking on the field and knowing that we're already winning 1-0 because I have that goal scorer on the field. Number three, PKs don't count. I'm sorry. They just, they, they, they don't count. I'm not saying they're not valuable, but they are this 
different type of skill and position. And I'm not saying you don't uh, need people that do it, but I just take them out because oftentimes you're not even necessarily the one that earned it. And again, you're stepping up in a situation where 80% of them uh, go in. So I take out penalties. And number four, in a league where all over half of the teams make the playoffs, your team has to make the playoffs. And my good friend, Paul Carr, you know him, uh, you love him out there. Over the years, I think he just gets a kick out of the fact that I've been doing this for so long. And so at different times during the season, he will tell me where we are. So as we sit here today, Again, we were recording this on Wednesday, October 4th. There are games tonight in MLS and on the weekend. So most teams have two to four games left. Uh, Sitting there at 13 is Jakumakis and White over there from uh, Vancouver. And sitting on 13, Benteke sitting on nine. Acosta, who is, I think, the shoe-in right now for the MVP award. Mukhtar, Mwanga, Maguire, Ferreira, and Carranza sitting there at nine. So if it were to end today... I would have to vote uh, one of Giacomakis or White, which I know would seize, see people's head explode. God forbid it's White. I know people will just go absolutely crazy. And look, you can have your own criteria. And until MLS gives me a criteria, this is what I do. And like I said, for those of you that have followed me for a long time, you you know it. I'm not necessarily saying that you love it, but you know it. And I guess that uh, this shouldn't be a su- surprise to you. For those that are new, this is how I roll. And uh, you can have your own criteria uh, when it comes to NMLS MVP that you can figure out. Yeah, the conventional wisdom, as you mentioned, is that Acosta is the uh, runaway leader here, while other candidates are Mukhtar and Tiago Amada. What those three guys have in common is they all have double-digit goals and assists. While you focus exclusively on goals, most people seem to be partial to guys that can score and create, who can be the bow and the arrow, so to speak. Um, Acosta, I think it's 15 goals, 13 assists. Almada, 10 goals, 16 assists. And Mukhtar, 15 goals, 10 assists. So, uh, I mean, you surely don't have an issue with any of those three, even though you're going still with your no. criteria. No. Well, I'm not losing sleep on it in terms of any, <laughs> of, of any of them. They're all wonderful players uh, when it comes to an MVP. I would love to have them uh, on my team. But I, I would... It'd be interested in other people's criteria as to what they look at in terms of how they pick their uh, their MVP. And I know a lot of people have the old conventional, well, would the team be worse if I took them off the team? Well, yeah. I mean, mine would be too, <laughs> given the amount of goals that somebody, somebody has scored. So, uh, In terms of MLS games, we have an eye on this weekend. Inter-Miami will host your Supporter Shield winner, Cincinnati. As of this taping, Cincinnati... Uh, can still break New England's uh, single-season points record. Uh, record we'll we'll yep. see if that's the case by the time they play this game. Uh, Inter-Miami, I know we, we keep talking about this messy situation, but it's so fascinating to me. They have a game against Chicago in Soldier Field uh, tonight, and they had sold out, or sold over 60,000 seats, and now it looks like Messi likely won't play. I don't know, it's a game-time decision. And so Chicago, they don't want their fans to leave disappointed. So to any fans that attend tonight, they're offering this $250 credit towards membership or future tickets or however, it, but teams are having to get creative to deal with the potential disappointment of Messi not playing in a game. I mean, what, what do you make of this dynamic? <laughs> I'm actually, I think, on Chicago's side on this because, you know, Messi is such an outlier, okay? And I think everybody would concede that. There is nobody in terms of the ability to sell tickets and not just sell tickets, but sell massive amounts of tickets and fundamentally change the makeup of your stadium than Messi. And so, again, we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks about buyer beware and all that. And I think this is a a, a fair type of concession for Chicago to make. And in doing so, I think that they are respecting the fact that a lot of people are coming there not to see the Chicago Fire, but, and guess what? Not to see Inter Miami, but specifically to see Messi. And if he continues not to play, there are going to be a lot of people that are disappointed. Disappointed, Not that they have you know, legal ramification, ramifications or anything, or, or uh, not that there are legal ramifications or anything like that. This is sports. We all know players play and, and don't play. But I, just, I think that this is a recognition of how big it has become, how much money they are making, and also an opportunity Again, we talk about this tent for Chicago, which needs it because they are struggling and have been on and off the field to bring more people into the Chicago fire tent. And maybe they like what they see. And who knows? Maybe you you're only looking for a small little percentage of them to actually take you up on that offer, whether it's the individual tickets or the season tickets going forward and say, you know, while I didn't see Messi, this was a cool time. I really had a good time and I want to do this going forward. It's only going to be a very small percentage, but it's worth it doing this if you can 
turn those fans that otherwise wouldn't have been watching your team and in your venue into potential Chicago Fire fans? Uh, DC United, NYCFC, DC looking to get in, NYCFC looking to stay in. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really going to be interested to see whatever happens ultimately at the end of this year with DC United and Wayne Rooney, if he's here next year. I mean, I'm sure there's a pool out there for not not just, you know, teams or, or that are going to make changes, but maybe even, you know, Wayne Rooney goes on to some, goes on to something else. But if he were to do that, it sure would be a whole lot easier for him if he were to uh, to make the playoffs. So this is this is big. I think this is big for Wayne Rooney and and, uh, and DC. This one's in DC, right? Yeah. So Correct. big, big, big. Uh, Dallas, San Jose, as of this taping, those are the last two teams in, in the West. So big one there. It's a playoff game. You know, our, our, our wonderful producer, Sean actually wrote it here in our, in our notes. It is, it's a, it's a playoff game. And the, uh, the consequences of this, while they're not dire in the forms of relegation, and that's not a conversation we're going to have right now, again, this playoff line is often where we mark the difference between success and failure. And so for, you know, these teams that are dying to stay over that line, they can't afford to mess up. And there is real pressure. There's pressure not just on the teams and the head coaches for their futures, but also for the players. And even though there's no rele- relegation, don't think for a second that there aren't consequences to bad player, a bad play, either through your team or individually in terms of your bad play. And then RSL hosting SKC. RSL member moved up to second in the West with that big win over LAFC. And SKC, uh, they got to win their last two games to have any chance. Uh, they're on the outside looking in right now. As I said, uh, Paolo Mastroianni, wonderful, wonderful job over there. And even Peter Vermes, we forget how horrible Sporting Kansas City was at the beginning of the year and that cr- incredible run where they, weren't, where they weren't winning. And a lot of people, including us here, are talking about how it might be a time where that incredible run from Peter Vermes was over. And he put his head down, got the players back after a bunch of injuries, and at least pushed themselves back into contention for possibly making the playoffs. It, I, I would be interested to talk to Pete. If they do ultimately make the playoffs, he might look at this as his finest accomplishment when it comes to SKC, given how the, te- how the, uh, the season started and if they are ma- uh, making it into the playoffs. That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your comments, questions, and concerns. You can use that hashtag Ask Alexi on all the social media platforms out there. And keep in mind that our handle is SOTU with Alexi. Or you can call into our voicemail box, uh, our voicemail box actually, of the State of the Union, which is 657-549-2297, And by the way, remember over there on the old Apple machine to, to leave a review and to, you know, give us our five stars if we've earned them. Um, but definitely read a uh, read a v- review, and uh, we got some uh, interesting giveaways coming up when uh, when that happens. All right, Mossy, what do people want to know today? Uh, first up, Jeremy Burns on Twitter, who appears to be an Auburn fan, by the way. Uh, he oh. asks, in light of all the VAR controversies, is there any part of you that wishes we could put all the toothpaste back in the tube and never review anything again? Hmm. Uh I mean, as as Eddie Money so aptly put, uh, I want to go back, but I can't go back. And you can't go back. That uh, that train has left the station. The toothpaste is out of the tube. Uh, whatever you want to use, right? Um, uh, so the answer is no. I actually, while I can be nostalgic and I can be romantic and I can look back and talk about things that I feel were wonderful in the past. I I like to look forward. And I love the continued integration of technology into the game of soccer and into all sports. Uh, I I do think at times it can be jarring, especially for those either playing or watching the game that are not used to it. 
but I think it represents progress. I think it represents evolution. And let's be honest, it happens in pretty much every industry out there. And there are the, the, the pains and the groans and the angst that are accompanied in every industry as this wheel turns. Um, I can, like I said, certainly grumpy old man things, but I, I, I'm thinking about it, Mossy. I don't enjoy the game any less today because of the technology than I did before. And when it comes to VAR in particular, I don't want it to return to a VAR-less type of game for, for two reasons. One, because I think it would be absolutely ridiculous and it would be just complete mayhem. Um, and, and two, like I said before, I actually think that the game has gotten better. And there will be those that die off, uh, including myself, eventually, uh, and there will be another generation that doesn't think anything of all the technology that we use uh, going forward. Now, they'll have their own grumpy old <laughs> men and women moments uh, with stuff that they see. But this is kind of how life and sports work. Uh, did you see that they released the audio from the VAR booth uh, for the Tottenham Liverpool uh, episode? I did. I did. It is. It is quite amazing to hear the interaction and what you hear you know what it's kind of like mossy uh, not to get too macabre but um if you ever listen to the cockpit uh voice recorder after uh you know an, an accident uh you know they're they're going back and forth and they're doing different things and really what you what you come to find out in this audio is this was human error and an egregious mistake. Absolutely. I did, however, think it was illuminating. And I think it, there was a sense of transparency. I liked the professionalism and the back and forth. And I think it really saw all of the kind of check boxes that they go through on a continual basis. And then in that moment, the realization when the plane's going down, right? Oh my God, yeah, for, we have screwed up. For those that didn't hear it, what happened is exactly what we had been told happened. They thought the call in the field was goal. They checked it quickly, saw that Diaz was on, and they got in the referee's ear and just said, you're good. Uh, and then once uh, play resumed, one of the guys in the VAR booth noted, he said, oh, wait a minute, the call in the field was offsides. That's what we just upheld. Are you good with that? And he asked it a couple of times, are you good with that? And then another guy says, oh, expletive, when he realizes the mistake they made. And then he says, one of the guys says, should we say something? And then another voice comes at the end and says, well, too late now, nothing we can do. And that part bothers me because uh, play had just restarted. Nothing had happened. There was even a throw-in. So there was kind of an opening to get in there and say something. And you have to alert the referee on the field of what happened and then let him make the decision. And then it's on him. And I have to believe that even though the protocol is once play restarts, you're technically not allowed to uh, do anything. Had the referee said, uh, folks, there was a misunderstanding earlier. It's actually a goal. And then everybody saw the replay and saw that that was the correct call. I don't think Tottenham would have protested after the fact. I mean, the public opinion would have been so against them at that point. Yes, it would have been a goofy incident. They would have been made fun of uh, for the mistake they made in the first place. But in the end, we'd be at a better place than we are now because they would have at least in the end gotten the call correct. Like, don't, aren't, weren't you surprised that it was just like, well, too late, uh, moving on. No, I wasn't surprised at all because these are men and women that pride themselves and immerse themselves in actual laws and the <laughs> obeying of laws. And some laws that I will I will grant you are subjective uh, and interpretive. I understand that. But the irony is that while they made an egregious mistake that we have pointed to, they then followed it up with an absolute spot on adherence to the law. <laughs> <laughs> and there's look, I know, I know, I know what you are saying. And I know there's a lot of people that said, well, they just sort of recognized the unique aspect of this moment and all this stuff. No, that's the whole point of having laws is following them. And look, I get it. There are times when people say, screw it, I'm not gonna follow the law. And then you let the cards, you know, you know, chips fall where they may, and whatever happens, happens. But in this case, I know how twisted and strange it sounds to you and maybe others. They are, be, they are to be commended in that moment for doing exactly what the laws and the regulations state. Uh, Jurgen Klopp, incidentally, very cheeky from him. He said, 
I think this match should be replayed, but of course it won't be because, and then he went on to outline all the logistical reasons why a game can't be replayed, but he did want to get it on the record that he thinks the game should be replayed. Others have suggested that when Tottenham face Liverpool later on this season, Tottenham should score a goal, uh, an own goal right off the kickoff to make up for this. So people are getting real goofy with this stuff. This this is insane. The, you know, the folks out there that want to return to a VAR-less world and, you know, put back the clock and go back to the pure, authentic, genuine type of game where we all recognize and where many people that are suggesting this uh, kind of revel in the fact that mistakes are made. And, you know, you just play through it and you recognize that it's part of the game, right? And then in the same breath, you want to replay the game? Because of a VAR mistake? What the hell? What are we talking about here? This is this is ridiculous. No, they're not going to replay the game, nor should they. I, 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 I see what Jurgen Klopp is doing, and he's, he's a very smart man, so I get it, you know, planting seeds and all that. But no, they sh- they they are not going to replay the game, nor nor should they. And it's a slippery slope, and it's problematic if you are going to look at things like this and say, well, why didn't they play, replay this? And why didn't they replay? I mean, the whole point of some of the VAR rules and laws, Mossy, was not to re-ref everything and to have moments where you say, you know what, this is the end. This is where we stop. And whether it's moments in the game or whether it's at the end of the game to not go back and redo things just because there was a potential mistake. Uh, Next up, it's a a tweet that our good friend Alex Goldstein sent to us um, asking us to address another tweet that's uh, recently surfaced. Um, So the the tweet he wants us to address is a quote from Rocco Camiso, the Italian-American owner of Fiorentina in the New York Cosmos. Uh, In 2018, he said uh, about U.S. soccer, winning six games in 85 years in a World Cup competition is nothing to brag about. We are a failed soccer nation. We were then, and we still are. Oof. So a part of me says that's a that's a fair statement to make. Um, and another part of me says, okay, well, if that's true, Rocco, I mean, you're part of it. So it was on your watch, and you maybe more so than many other people that are listening and watching here had the power to do different things, and you didn't. And I'm sure if Rocco was here, he would say, yeah, because... You know, I, you know, in litigation, I wasn't able to do the things or the way that the system is structured. It's against me and poor little old me and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I often say that as an American soccer community and the American soccer nation out there, we are so ready to kick ourselves for what we haven't done. And I get it. I mean, plenty of it is fair. But we also, at some point, have to pat ourselves on the back. And it doesn't mean that we haven't made mistakes. And it also doesn't mean that we couldn't be further along had we done some different things along the way. But again, to Rocco and everybody else out there, and I'm not telling Rocco anything that he doesn't know, the country and the culture and the climate and the reality on the ground of what American soccer is, is so different and so unique, and yes, so challenging uh, relative to anything else in the world in terms of pushing that boulder up the hill. And, you know, while I may disagree with Rocco on different things, uh, he, uh, as much as he loves to, you know, poke people out there, uh, he's done plenty of good for the game. And he has done things that uh, have helped American soccer. And there's those that argue that he has done things that have hurt uh, American soccer. But ultimately, you know, this is a, this is about who we are and how we see ourselves. And I see us in a much more positive light, I think, than Rocco and others out there. And I know that there are those that say, well, Alexi, you have blinders on. Um, and you are not seeing the reality of what's going on. And there are those that would accuse me and others of saying, you know what, you don't have high enough expectations. And in that, you know, maybe that's maybe that is fair. Uh, the American exceptionalism out there in me says, yeah, you know, maybe we should be much more angry and disappointed, and I guess shamed at where we are as opposed to where we could be given the greatness of our nation, the opportunities that we have, the resources that we have. 
But you know, I, I guess maybe I, I go back and forth, Mossy. Where do you when you look at the American soccer culture as it is, have we underperformed for what we are? Well, first of all, just to fact check, Rocco, the U.S. has nine all-time World Cup wins. So when the comment was made, they had eight. He said six. Obviously, the, the most recent one being in 2022 against Iran. Uh, so uh, you contributed to that total, 94, Colombia. Uh, the U.S. <laughs> yeah. with 20 World Cup defeats. One could argue you contributed to that total as well with your play against Romania and Brazil, but we won't get into that. Okay. Uh, but... Uh, um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I do wonder sometimes um, th- there's, you know, living in this country, uh, obviously missing out in 2018 undercut this a little bit, but there had always been this general perception that just by qualifying for World Cups, as opposed to from 1950 to 1990, the U.S. didn't take part in 1990 on, they, they had qualified for seven in a row before missing out in 2018, and that that constituted immense progress. Um, but, you know, I sometimes would look at the U.S.'s record in these World Cups and say, well, I don't know, are, are they doing enough to really constitute major progress is just making sure you get in every four years and then giving like a decent account of yourself and occasionally getting into the knockout stage? Is that uh, enough? So I think it's an interesting conversation to be had. I think with this collection of players emerging now, the expectations have gone sky high and it's going to be interesting to see the next couple of cycles where this all goes. But um, yeah, at the time he made these comments, 2018, I think it was a fair question to raise. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that we have have had over the years low expectations and uh, you know uh, that haven't been you know, that that been bad for the sport if you will when it comes to the low expectations as a matter of fact you know for example when when I'm going to a world cup and I say I'm going to win it people poo poo that so that would be an example of well maybe people would say that's an example of delusion I would say it's an example of believing that you can do something that hasn't been done before. And I do think that that is a sentiment and that is a blood that runs through the American soccer community. And there are plenty of examples as to what U.S. has done that you can certainly hang your hat on uh, in terms of successes, both on and off the field. Not the least of which is just where we sit, Rocco, in 2023 relative to... 10 years ago in 2003 or 20 years ago, uh, or sorry, 10 years in 2013 or 20 years ago in 2003 or 30 years or 40 years uh, going back. It is night and day what American soccer is uh, relative to when Rocco was growing up, when I was growing up, when others were growing up now. And that's because of a tremendous amount of work. And I do think that it is because people believe that we can be something better. So anyway, um, uh, anything else, Mossy? No, and I didn't mean to blame you for the Romania loss. We all know that was all Tony Mueller. It's all right. Get in line. Get in line. You know, I'm, uh, I'm being blamed for a lot nowadays. Uh, that is it. <laughs> all right. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, we'll finish up our show with One for the Road. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay, welcome back. It is the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, I am here in uh, Washington, D.C., to visit my mother, who is turning 80 years old. She is one of those OG soccer moms. Um, For those of you out there that are fortunate enough to have a soccer mom or a someone that acts as a soccer mom, you will know how important they are and how important they can be in terms of your development, not just as a soccer player, but as a young person. My mom came to the game because of her children and because I got into the game. She did not grow up with soccer. And she jumped in headfirst and learned about the game and fell in love with the game. My mom, for those that don't know, is a poet, and soccer has filtered into a lot of the poetry that she does. Uh, She recognized very early on that this was something that I was not only good at, but something that was going to keep me out of trouble and something that I wanted to do. My mom was a writer, my dad was a professor, and while they didn't have a sports background, they incredibly supported me and my 
soccer mom was there all along the way. She's been to all the World Cups. She has incredible and unique stories about what American soccer is. And we were talking in the last segment about how far we have come. My mom is somebody uh, at 80 years old that can give you an incredible perspective uh, and a unique one, like I said, about how far we have come. So to my mom, happy birthday. Uh, I love you. Uh, to all of the soccer moms out there or to all of the people that have people, like I said, in their life that act as, act as soccer moms or just anybody out there that is supportive of a young boy or girl that's getting involved in the game. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Whether they play in a World Cup or not, to be quite honest, is irrelevant. Uh, what is important is that you are there to support them and the lessons that they will learn and the love and the relationship and the connection that you will have through this game of kicking the ball is something that will never leave you. And even at 53 years old, sitting down with my 80-year-old mother, oftentimes our conversation turns uh, to soccer. She got up today and said, wow, did you read this stuff about where the World Cup is going to be in 2030 and 2034? I hope that uh, I get to watch a World Cup in 2030 and 2034 with my mom. And I hope you get to spend as much time as you possibly can with the ones that you love, including all of the soccer moms out there. Mossy, anything before we go? Uh, tell your mom happy birthday and hello for me. And I'd be curious to hear of any new television takes she has. She, as I've said many, many times, is a huge fan of David Mossy, as many people are. As a matter of fact, she might even be a bigger fan of David Mossy than she is about me. I was worried early this week when I mentioned that I was going to D.C. because I know she's an avid listener of the pod, that she was going to listen to it and the surprise was going to be blown. Thankfully, I got to the door. She had not listened to the pod yet. She was there, tears, all sorts of stuff. So it was very, very cool that uh, that I was able to, uh, able to do that. All right. Have a wonderful weekend. Uh, whatever you're if you're playing soccer, if you're watching soccer, as we mentioned on this pod, so many different wonderful games that are happening all across the uh, the globe here. Check them all out. Have a wonderful time. Keep reviewing and downloading and rating and subscribing. I will tell you this. Uh, next week, we are having a massive celebration when it comes to the State of the Union pod. Uh, and we are celebrating our 400th episode, if you can believe. We have all sorts of interesting things and wonderful things on tap for that. So it's going to be really, really fun uh, next week. But as I said before, until then, uh, keep doing the things that you were doing. Keep listening, reviewing, rating, subscribing, doing all the different things that uh, that you do, calling into the hotline, sending us the uh, the texts and the tweets and the, all the different things that you do. Uh, greetings uh, and goodbye from D.C. I will head back to Los Angeles and then we will talk again next week. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day. <laughs>